You're the worst brother ever. You never let me do anything fun. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I'm like, I don't want this hassle, man. You know, do it at someone else's house. Hi, I'm Bram van der Groes, and thanks for listening to the Before and After Show. The podcast in which we are zooming in on specific moments in life that brought you further. My personal before and after moment was specifically last year when I was not happy in my job. Fortunately, I was lucky enough that CCV gave me the opportunity to figure out what I really like to do. I have to say it was quite a challenge and I had to do a lot of puzzling, but eventually I knew what to do. Make podcasts. Podcasts about personal stories, personal journeys, but most important, your personal events. These specific moments in life that brought you further. My manager loved the idea and said, go. So, enjoy this episode while walking, sitting, running, sleeping, or however you like to listen to podcasts. And let's start. In short, they were born, not at the same time. They are brothers lived in the Netherlands, moved to the United States, went back to Europe, started a rock band, toured around, started a PR communication agency, sold the company, founded Waarde Gedreven, initiated the Church of Change. And next to that, they were separately in the board of different social charities. And they are still young. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm happy to introduce you, the brothers Stefan and Sander Ubbelen. Welcome. Wow, what Thank an introduction. You. Thank you. Yeah. I hope uh, it, it covers a little bit uh, the things you already did. Um, we will zoom a little bit more onto Waarde Getreven, of course, and, uh, and uh, the uh, Church of Change. Uh, mm-hmm. But first, uh, I'd like to get to know you a little bit better, and we will dive a little bit more into your past. Um, but let's start with some short statements. You can only answer with yes or no. And during this podcast, we will hopefully get a bit deeper into these answers so that you can explain a little bit more. But for now, it's only yes or no. Uh, All right. Do we do it at the same time? uh, No. uh, (laughs) Please do it separate. (laughs) Well, it could be interesting if you do it at the same time. I know, (laughs) right? Yeah, it's true. Okay, let's let's try. try Let's try at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, first question. I will always work with my brother. Yes. Yes. (laughs) All right, that's good. Um, I missed the work I did for Take Two. No. no. One day we'll go back to America and start a business there. No. No. <laughs> All right. So that's good, eh? Your brothers and you're aligned. <laughs> yeah. It, it seems so. Yeah. We, so we didn't prepare so, this. So yeah. far, so good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No surprises. <laughs> um, so, okay. Thank you for the, these answers. We will uh, zoom in a little bit more on, into that later on. Uh, I think we will uh, talk about it while discussing other things as well. Um, but first, we like to, or I like to t- zoom in a little bit on your past. Um, you are brothers, so you go way back. What is the first memory you have from each other? That is a really good question, man. That's that's an original. I've never been asked. I know, this. I know. <laughs> and, it's, it's, and usually we're like really quick on, on answers, you know, as you've noticed. Yeah. We, we, we've thought of everything before, but this is new. This is something I have to think about. I do remember I do re- playing. Yeah, go. No, you first. All right. So uh, uh, my brother used to be taller than I was, and that resulted in him teasing me a lot. The first memory I have of him is probably uh, chilling in, ba- in our bathtub. We were like 
two and five and him teasing me by uh, like wetting a towel and putting it on my head and uh, <laughs> laughing at me. I think that was the first memory I have of my brother. Yeah, that's where it all that's 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 where your passion for like, you know, like up one upping me comes from. The, the rest of my life is, is is pretty much taking revenge for that moment. Exactly. <laughs> no, it's funny because uh, I don't have like very many clear memories of that because uh, uh, it's it's the moving around a bit that really uh, got us uh, uh, much closer together. Uh, and before that time, we were kind of like doing our own thing, you know. And um, but I do remember when we moved to the states, and this was when we were way older. We played a lot of basketball together because, you know, obviously we were uprooted uh, from our life here. And then um, uh, in the States, we didn't have any friends yet, you know, because we didn't uh, live there very long. But we did have a nice basketball post uh, on the driveway. So that's how we spent a lot of the time playing basketball against each other. And uh, this was the time when uh, we were still kind of like... Uh, um, Rivals? As, well, yes, but also... Uh, you hadn't outgrown me yet because he's like uh, one meter 91, right? And I'm only 172. So uh, when he was like 15, I could still take him in basketball. But, you know, by the time he was 18, he was much taller than me. I couldn't beat him anymore. So I remember uh, very distinctly playing against him and becoming increasingly frustrated because I couldn't beat him anymore. <laughs> <laughs> So there was competition between the two of you. Was it always uh, like that? Stefan? Yeah. When, when did we bury the hatchet, Sander? I don't know. I don't remember. Well, I guess I guess when you started working for me. I guess so, too. Now, I mean, yeah. the first time we actually started to seriously work together was uh, uh, when uh, Stefan uh, and I came back to the Netherlands. And we were kind of searching, you know, for our place back in our home country, which didn't feel like my home country anymore. Um, and then uh, my brother met some friends at his uh, study and he started a band and they didn't have a singer yet. So they said, uh, my brother called me and he said, uh, do you want to sing? Because I used to sing uh, in, in, uh, in a band in the States. So that's how our first like real working relationship got started. The first collaboration. Exactly. And, 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 and was it always a dream to, to work together? No, no, no it, wasn't <laughs> more just... of a, it, it was more of a nightmare working yeah. together. <laughs> It just clicked. Yeah, <laughs> we're like, hey, I have a brother, and he's he's kind of a nice guy, and uh, you know, we're we're out of puberty, and we tended to work well together. So uh, from from the band onwards, we uh, we we played nicely. Yeah, it was it was it was like in the beginning, it was like a um, it was like a um, uh, uh, how do you say that? Uh, it was it was a collaboration of convenience. I mean, I was looking for something to do; he was looking for a singer for his band. But from there on, you start to like really work together and get to know each other on a different level, you know, like, okay, we have something that we both want. Let's make it happen, you know, and then you discover, okay, uh, you have some really interesting ideas and skills and mine are complementary to that. So, you know, we were having uh, 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 some success yeah, in our collaboration. I mean, not musically, but, <laughs> but, but everything around it, we were really good at. We're good at organizing. We're good at... Um, at the communication and PR thing, you know, getting, uh, getting, uh, getting marketing gigs. together, gigs, you know, and then uh, we're, at, at some point we're like, all right, so if we can do this for the band, maybe we can do this for other people too. So that's how we kind of got started in our professional uh, career. Oh, nice. Uh, we will zoom in uh, onto that uh, later on as well. But uh, mm -hmm. first, let's get back a bit, little bit 
uh, to your childhood uh, because uh, I think uh, you said it, Sandra, that you moved a lot uh, within the Netherlands before you moved to the United States. And uh, why was that? Well, my uh, father is a, uh, has a career in journalism. So uh, he, uh, I was born in Eindhoven. Um, and uh, three years later, we moved to uh, the north of uh, the country uh, to a little town called Schagen. And that's when my brother was born, three years after me. Uh, he was born in the hospital in Alkmaar. Uh, so that was already our first move, you know, after three years. So we lived there for a while. And then we moved to Nijmegen because my dad got a job there. And pretty much all of our moves was due to the fact that my dad got a new job uh, somewhere else. And this also uh, uh, was the reason why we moved uh, abroad. Okay, because uh, I can remember when I grew up, my father, uh, I was born in, in Verrein, that's in Limburg, in the south. Yeah, yeah. And uh, um, when I grew up, uh, at one point, my father started working in The Hague. The Hague and he said, <laughs> I, I can recall very clearly because I have two brothers as well. Oh, not yeah. as well, I have two brothers. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, at one point, we were sitting at the table and eating, and my father said, Hey, um, what do you think about moving to The Hague? <laughs> and I, I think this discussion only lasts 10 seconds because we all three the three of us all shouted no we don't yeah. want to move we will stay here forever yeah, yeah and then yeah. rise where it's at <laughs> I know. <laughs> and that's it you know but for you it was different same thing happened to me is when my dad came back when he got the promotion uh, to become a correspondent in washington uh, I, I think I spent the whole afternoon crying. I was like 10. I was like, I didn't want to leave my friends or the Netherlands, uh, everything I trusted. But it seems to me like uh, there was never a question posed in our family. It was like really nice. And of course, the family got together and then we sit around the table and then it's like, well, we have something to tell you. We are moving away. <laughs> it wasn't like, how do you feel about moving away? No, no, no. We are moving away. And how are you feeling about that? because it's happening. <laughs> yeah. and, and also you're not allowed to tell anyone because uh, it was uh, still uh, um, uh, not made public because it was pretty much, it was a pretty big deal within the journalistic community because there's not a lot of uh, opportunities. Uh, it's kind of like one of the most prestigious things you can do uh, within that organization to become a correspondent for the United States. Yeah. So uh, we were supposed to uh, keep our mouths shut for a, about a month or two and Ooh. I was, I was, I don't remember that. Oh, I do. I do. Maybe you were kept in the dark in the first place. Maybe, maybe my dad said, don't tell your little brother either. <laughs> to make it even bigger. I don't know. But, uh, uh I was actually uh, quite excited about the prospect of moving. Yeah. And, 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 and within, uh, moving within the Netherlands, that was okay for you as well. Well, I don't re quite remember because it's different. You, 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 when you're young, you, you just go to school, you make friends really easily, you know, and the older you get, it's much more difficult because a lot of groups of friends, they're already settled and it's difficult to, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to integrate. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I, I gotta say the move back to the Netherlands was the toughest move I've ever made. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Going to America was, was easier. Um, because everything was new. I mean, the first year was tough, right? Because you don't have any friends and uh, the language barrier. Our English was all right, but it wasn't native. So uh, we had to get speak used for to yourself. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I was like 11. I didn't speak a word of English. That's true. That's true. 
No, but yeah, my because, English was yeah. All, yeah. My English was all right because I played a lot of video games and watched a lot of cartoons. So. Okay. <laughs> so you, Stefan, uh, Stefan, you were 11 mm -hmm. years old, and uh, Sandra, you were 14 years old then. Um, yep. But you didn't speak any English at that point. How was that? No. That's that's uh, that's tough, right? How was I, that I was, for you? I, I remember uh, my parents kind of. Um, figured that'd be a problem for me that I didn't speak the language. So they sent mm. me to uh, like language training, uh, a language training center. And I was like, uh, you know, like this tall. And um, I was explaining something that um, people were teasing me at, at school. And uh, I, I used the expression, I think, and then I stood for dick. Meaning that extend <laughs> for lul, yeah, <laughs> which is of course doesn't translate well in English, and we ha we all had a big laugh at that. Uh, but no, I moved to to the states without speaking pretty much any English, and um, but it, it goes really quickly, especially when you're young. So mm -hmm. I think it took like two three months before uh, before people couldn't even tell that I had a had an accent. And you kind of learn how to uh, how to use your. Uh... Your, your unique backstory to your advantage, you know, because uh, we were the Europeans, you know, mm -hmm. in our school. I don't think there were many people from uh, from uh, really outside the country. Stefan had this uh, this angle uh, when talking to the ladies. He would be like, oh, yeah. hi, hi, I'm Stefan from Europe. <laughs> <laughs> and when I'm introducing myself to dudes, I'd just be like, hey, what's up, I'm Stefan. <laughs> And did it work out if you introduce yourself like that to the ladies? Rarely. <laughs> well, I, you know, that was one of the things too, because you, uh, uh, when you get older, you start to look at things differently. At first you're like, okay, that's my little brother and he annoys me and he's just there, you know? Mm -hmm. And then after a while you start to see, look, this guy has uh, uh, a lot of friends. He's very popular. He has, uh, he has a house party every weekend. You know, he does all sorts that's, of interesting. That's because, that's because I, I used to make fake IDs. That's that, <laughs> that gets you real popular really quickly. In yeah, yeah. Oh man, there's some good stories to tell. Stefan, how about you start? That I mean, I don't want to take over your show, but uh, you can, you can. But, uh, I know where this is going. Yeah, well, Stefan had a knack for entrepreneurship. Let's just put it that way, and he put on some some side hustles during his high True. school time. Please share some, Stefan. Please share. <laughs> if you like. Are you sure? Are you sure? All right. Yeah, of so course. This is a story about uh, me becoming a porno dealer. Um, <laughs> and um, my mother always used to have this big, scary thought. It's like, I'm going to, I'm, I'm immigrating to the United States with two um, brothers that are into their puberty. So her mm. worst nightmare was us getting into some trouble and them having to move back while one of us was in jail, you know, United States jail, which is different than Dutch jail. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so that was that was uh, keeping her up at night. So I was 14 and I was bored because, uh, you know, you get bored in, uh, in the United States in middle school. And I met this kid named Joshua and Joshua was also very bored. Uh, Joshua had a, a stepdad who was a cop and uh, he always used to wear sunglasses. He had like a mustache. His name was Bill. It was yeah, Bill it was like work. the typical, prototypical, exactly. yeah. Yeah, and he, he walked the beat in, in Washington, D.C., you know, and he was very authoritative. Um, but uh, Bill uh, laid down the law for others and for himself, he, you know, he took some shortcuts. So he had illegal cable. <laughs> Meaning that his house would receive illegal uh, cable hookup, would receive any paid channel. 
what he didn't realize is that those paid channels got broadcast into Joshua's room, which was the basement, um, <laughs> meaning that he had all sorts of sports channels and that kind of stuff. Uh, but also the uh, Spice Channel, which was like, you know, like soft porn. You didn't really see any close-ups or anything, but it was, you know, erotic in nature. Uh, so we were super interested as 14-year-old uh, uh, middle school kids. And, uh, you know, we used to, like, uh, uh, be very conflicted between do we watch this, but then we watch it together. That's kind of weird. So, you know, we brought in a VCR recorder. Uh, which was pretty practical, and this VCR recorder used to get used a lot, and then we'd take the tapes back to our house. Um, and then afterwards, we were like, okay, so I've seen this tape like seven or eight times, maybe we can sell this. You know, this is like, an, uh, this, is, this is before the internet, you know, so the market was unlimited. Uh, and uh, middle school, uh, you know, these are people that are like 14, 15, so um, uh, I took these tapes back to middle school, I sold them, and within a day I was sold out. <laughs> so me and Joshua were like, you know, this, this is some uh, opportunity right here. So we figured out, you know, every night we would record like six hours of Spice Channel, Bill's Spice Channel, uh, and uh, sell them. And, uh, you know, that worked out for a while until we realized uh, the market was way bigger than our supply. So we, uh, we, we figured, like, can we hook up more VCRs to one cable channel? And, um, you know, it worked. So we hooked up two or three or four and, and exponentially increased our production capacity, right? So uh, these tapes uh, sold as well. Um, and then, you know, word, word gets around. I'm, I'm 14. I don't really know how the world works. Um, one day I get called down to the principal's office. Um, and right before that, something happened. We were sitting in our family uh, table. Um, one of the Dutch traditions we've always kept was eating, uh, eating dinner as a family. And my mom um, gets a call. She picks up the phone. And it's, uh, I, just, I just see her just going from friendly to scared. And it's the principal. And the principal's like, ma'am, we have to talk. <laughs> Stefan's in trouble. And, you know, she, she realizes it's her worst nightmare. She's like, oh, my God, no, this is the moment that they're going to jail. It's like, what is it? Is it drugs? And then he spoke the illustrious words, no, ma'am, it's porn. <laughs> <laughs> so the next day, you know, I get called down to the principal's office. There's this whole spiel about, you know, us not believing in God and that kind of stuff. And um, the principal, he's like, uh, Mr. Zarchin, his name was, he was like, okay, what I want you to do is I want you to take all your, your, your so-called earned money and buy back all these tapes and deliver them to me. And um, <laughs> I was like, yeah, sure. So uh, it, he completely underestimated our, our, our market because, um, you know, I think by then we sold like 120 tapes at $20 each. Um, wow. Which is a, a fortune for a small kid, right? Exactly. Uh, and uh, so that, that was an all-nighter. We went to Joshua's basement and just went all night just <laughs> producing tapes. And like the next day, gave him 16 tapes. Like, this is all we have. And uh, yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah, this is, uh, I'm not going to report you to the police, but it's, it's a close call. <laughs> and after that, you stopped with this business. You got a new side scheme going. <laughs> yeah, after that, I, I, I figured I was kind of hooked on, 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 on money uh, by then. And I was like, my, my brother had this uh, license, this driver's license, uh, and it expired or something. And I was like, hey, maybe I can change the date on this. 
because we have the same last name and that turned out to a fake ID, which meant um, I figured out how to make fake IDs. And that's a felony offense that could actually lead to jail. But um, yeah, that, I did that for a while to finance a lot of parties. Yeah, exactly. Like you said, it will make you very popular, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, combined with the fact that my dad used to like go on these journalistic trips all over the country and take my mom because they figure, you know, you're mature enough to be left alone. <laughs> um, you know, there's, there's this, this influx of bored teenagers, a, a house with a pool, uh, a fake ID to get alcohol and, and, and enough money to buy it. Yes, which, you know, and, gets you and, pretty popular. And don't forget the whole American uh, uh, teenage culture, which, you know, there's a lot of raging hormones and they're not allowed to do anything, <laughs> you know, so and they find a way. You know? Yeah. So it's 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 uh, it's it's it was an interesting uh, uh, learning school for us, and it's funny because uh, uh, I was always uh, goody two shoes in this uh, relationship. I'm yeah. always like Stefan, what are you doing? What are you doing, man? You're gonna get in trouble. Don't. don't and at one point, he was gonna throw a house party at our house, and my parents were gone, and he invited like 30 friends. You know, because that's what people in America do when parents are out of town. Everyone comes over, they trash the place, and then you spend two days cleaning up. You know, that's how it goes. And I'm like, no, I forbid you. I forbid you to throw a party here. And he's like, you're the worst brother ever. You never let me do anything fun. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I'm like, I don't want this hassle, man. You know, do it at someone else's house. You weren't able to convince him. No, he never. Well, one thing you need to know about my brother, he doesn't listen to other people. I mean, he he has a very uh, <laughs> he has a mind of his own. I mean, I do, too. But uh, I think we listen to each other, but uh, we never admit it. So if Stefan tells me something, I'm like, no, you're wrong. And then after the conversation's over, then I start thinking about what he actually said, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So this rivalry that you were talking about, it's kind of still there. And it's, I think it's healthy. It keeps us sharp. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> well, how long did you stay in, uh, in, uh, in America? Six years. Six years. Okay. And, how, yep. I, and, and was it all fun? Did you, if you think about it, uh, was it because Sander, you already mentioned that when you were going back, it was a hard time for you. So I, I imagine that you really enjoyed your time in America. Me, I loved it. Uh, the first uh, uh, couple of years were uh, were difficult, but then I found uh, a couple of friends. You know, you, you kind of want when you're young, you want a place to belong. You know, you want you want some people that you uh, you form a group with. So I found such a group, and um, it was nice. I had a good time with them. I mean, it was kind of boring. High school is boring. You know, uh, it's the society there is completely different. If you're not, everything is built around the school life. Yeah, mm. so you got all these extracurricular school activities, and I was too um, stubborn to join in on any of those. Mm. I'm like, no, I'll, I decide what to do with my free time, you know. But that resulted in me being very bored very often. Um, but I got this band, which was nice. But uh, when I was 18, I uh, graduated, and then I went to university. And for a long time, I considered those two years the best two years of my life. Yeah. It was, yes, it was uh, going to university in America is a unique experience that everyone should have. It was incredible and I loved it. And it was just... Sander, Sander still has, not a lot of people know this, but Sander still has the uh, tattoo of his fraternity Delta Sigma Phi on his oh, arm. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, so so I decided, you know, uh, uh, by this time we knew we were uh, going back because my dad uh, um, has maxed out his tenure there. So he was not allowed to stay beyond those six years. Yeah. Uh, so we knew exactly, okay, so after this, it's over. We're going back to the Netherlands because I can't afford to stay there by myself. Uh, I was 21 years old. Uh, we didn't have um, uh, green cards or anything, huh? so we couldn't work there either. Tuition in the United States is very high. I think it was about uh, 10 or 15,000 euros a year to study. So there's no way I was going to do that. So we were going back. Um, but because we were going back, it's like, all right, we got to get everything out of this, this experience that we can. So I joined a fraternity. I'm like, you know, I've seen all these movies, all these American movies. And I'm like, uh, all right, I got to do this because I'll, if I don't do this now, I'm going to regret it for the rest of my life. And, um, and so it happened. I met a couple of guys who were in kind of an alternative fraternity uh, because, because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not one of these jock types. So, uh, uh, and I felt quite at home with these guys. So, uh, so I joined up and I was uh, a member of uh, Delta Sigma Phi Alpha Chapter, University of Maryland, <laughs> for a year. And how was this for you, Seifa? Um, the first year was terrible. Uh, when I went to America, I got uprooted. Uh, everything that I needed to feel safe was just like taken away from my life. I didn't speak the language, obviously. And the worst part about it was I joined like a middle year. So all uh, middle school is from grade uh, six to seven to eight. Mm -hmm. uh, and I joined in grade seven, meaning that all the social clubs had already formed if you don't make a good first impression. And this yeah. is me with like two long hair, European hair, and my, tans, my pants were too tight, not baggy enough. <laughs> so I got, I got shunned like right away. And I didn't really have the emotional baggage to uh, kind of make friends. So I got really, really isolated uh, and uh, felt pretty shitty for uh, maybe two years. Mm. And afterwards, there was this great reshuffle where you graduate middle school, go to high school, and everyone is insecure because no one has the same social uh, uh, circles anymore. And by that time, you know, I was Americanized and, uh, and, and things went really well for me. Okay. Yeah, that's good to hear. So, so, the, so I, the last the, the four years of high school, especially the last two years, when uh, my parents thought I was mature enough to leave us, and uh, and the house parties, that was that was just an awesome, amazing time. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen uh, um, what's that what's that movie called again with McLovin? Oh, uh, Super Bad. Super, super Bad. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was exactly <laughs> like that. Serious? And uh, yeah, great fun. Yeah, yeah. I can, <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> So at one point, uh, uh, yeah, you had to go move back to America uh, to the Netherlands, and uh, I think some you already said uh, that it was horrible for you. Uh, uh, was it horrible for you as well, Stefan? I mean, it was it was uh, as horrible as going to America, but less so because I learned a lot about being uh, on my own, about not having friends, but having confidence. Uh, so the, the time it took for me to integrate here was a lot shorter than in the States. In the States, it took like two years of being lonely. Mm -hmm. And uh, all I remember from moving back to Holland is just like a really boring summer because I didn't really know anyone. Uh, uh, and then afterwards, you know, school started, I started the band and that was uh, easy, uh, easy going. Yeah. 
So, so let's zoom in on the band uh, because uh, uh -huh. I think you uh, both both joined the band. Uh, but it was quite serious, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, we we, we took we ourselves took... very seriously. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. That's it. And and um, uh, uh, it was it was serious in a way that we were we we had ambition and we wanted to get everything out of it that we could. I've always had this dream of being uh, on stage, you know, I've always been a big uh, fan of, of rock music and bands. I go to uh, to festivals every year, you know, and look at all these this, this these heroes on stage. I'm like, wow, I can't I can't imagine like being there myself. And then, you know, there was this rock band and OK, so these guys actually know how to play. All right. We can make this into a real thing. Let's see what we can uh, what can do. And we worked really, really hard at it. And uh uh, yeah, we had some uh, we had some moderate success, and uh, but most of the success we had was stuff that we created ourselves. Because you have two types of bands in my mind. You have bands that are really, really musically talented, and they get discovered, you know, by programmers mm -hmm. or, or 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 journalists, and they get boosted and promoted, and then they get uh, into the scene. And you have bands like us who who do it just by hard work, and that's. Uh, that was us. There were back in the day. There were uh, in our hometown of Nijmegen, or temporary hometown. There were uh, three bands that were always playing around here, and um, two of those bands really made it. Like one is uh, uh, the Stats, and the other one is Go Back to the Zoo. Yeah. And we were in the third band. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> ah, okay. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if, have you ever seen uh, uh, the story of Anvil? The story it's, of uh, Anvil. Yeah, it's a so. document. Yeah, it's a documentary about um, about a metal band in the eighties mm -hmm. uh, yeah. who were uh, on stage with Bon Jovi, with Anthrax, with with the big bands of the time. And it's kind of the same thing. All those bands made it except Anvil. We oh, are yeah, the I know that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a, yeah, that's yeah. a great documentary. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but the, no, the competition. But if you compare it to the start and go back to the zoo, the competition was big, right? Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, this was this was before they were the start. This was uh, uh, they were called Puda, <laughs> but they were uh, they were already a lot better than we were. But we uh, <laughs> we didn't no, admit that. There's 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 uh, there's uh, a lot of different factors uh, uh, for success, right? And mm -hmm. uh, the 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 singer songwriter for the start is just a, a creative. A genius, you know. I I'm very uh, uh, impressed with his musical vision, and he had the, uh, the 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 skills and the knowledge to make it happen because he didn't only write the music; he produced it as well. And it was obvious from the beginning, like this band is going places, you know. And we uh, were a different we're, we're we're in a different category. I mean, we we could have some success, but based on different on on a different um, uh, foundation. And the mm -hmm. foundation was. Uh, we we just performed the hell out of every stage we got we tried to but our songs were not that uh smart as theirs mm -hmm. i think so um but it was so so it was pretty serious and you wanted to achieve something but at, at one point at what point did you decide okay what are we going to do are we going to continue with this band or are we going to stop stefan do you want to tell because this uh, here we go into the realm of uh our professional career 
Okay, sure. Well, um, when we were students, we didn't really have uh, anything to do. So we, uh, we practiced like twice a week. There was this one year where we had like 160 gigs in a year. Uh, and we were really committed. And then, you know, real life kicked in and I started this advertising agency. So I had to balance my time between, you know, staying up till 3 a.m. and working the next day. Um, so we dialed down to practicing. We went from twice to once a week. Uh, we played less gigs because, you know, we needed, we needed our sleep. We got, we were getting to be old men. And, um, uh, uh, one time we were in Arnhem and we played like one of our hit songs and, uh, uh, one of the guys screwed up like the, the format of the song. Like he didn't remember the song that we played literally thousands of times. So I was like, okay, this, instead of it going like this, you know, upward swing, it's going downward swing because we're just not putting enough time and effort into it. And um, when I see something going downwards, uh, you know, it's, for me, I, I tend to jump ship. Uh, so I was like, okay, this is, this is uh, going worse than we ever were. And, and I need perspective on anything I work on. So uh, we were not as good as we used to be. That is something I can't deal with. So uh, yeah, I quit. Yeah. And it's funny because that's that's your perspective. And obviously I was there on stage and uh, a little context maybe makes uh, the emotional impact a little bigger because we were opening for the festival that we had organized ourselves and it was my project. Yeah. So I put a lot of time and effort into the programming. I got a lot of friends who are in bands on stage together. Uh, I made sure we had some press there, you know, and we uh, traditionally would open the festival, you know, as the hosts of mm -hmm. the festival. The first song, completely blown. And I was, I've never been so embarrassed in my life, you know? So I was, I was, I was, while I was on stage, I was trying to save the show. And obviously it was impossible because the whole thing kind of fell apart. And I was disappointed and angry and 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 embarrassed at the same time and then stefan says this band you know is on the downswing uh i don't think i want to do this anymore and i was high in my emotion and i'm yeah. like if stefan quits i quit too i don't want to be in a band without stefan so you know that was kind of like the beginning of the end of the band lots of stories yeah exactly sounds really adventurous as well but but, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but next to that you started your company why did why did you how did you come up with that well i mean uh, if, if you're if you're in an amateur band um uh, and, and you're ambitious you know you'll take anything you get so mm. our uh salary used to be like a crate of beer and maybe 50 bucks gas money um, and, uh, um, I figured I needed a way to get some money. I was really bored with school. Um, if you graduate high school, you can't go to a university here. You have to do your P first, your propodizer. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, uh, I kind of had to settle for a study that I really didn't want to do. Um, and I got, I got bored real quick and I was like, okay, so I want to make some money, you know, the entrepreneurship, I, I want to make some money without making fake IDs or selling pornography to children. <laughs> um, but um, um, 
Uh, and, and I figured, you know, why not start a company, a communications agency, because there's, we're supposed to be learning all kinds of things in the school, but I wanna, I wanna experiment with it. I wanna go faster than, than uh, my school was going. It's so maybe nice I, to uh, also say that uh, the guy you started the company with was someone that we yeah. met, met through the band. He was a photographer and he was yeah. really good. Yeah, so I figured, you know, this this could be commercialized and uh, we could uh, do creative things and make money from it, uh, which was very different from our experience with the band. And then uh, maybe uh, it's nice to say, because we always say, okay, so uh, we used to be in advertising and then we sold the company. Uh, I mean, it, it's a little uh, more nuanced than that, because uh, when Stefan said, I'm going to uh, start a communication agency, I told him, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. You haven't even finished high school yet. What do you know about communication and creativity? You can't even draw a stick figure. What are you doing in creative communication? You know, uh, uh, and so, so good luck, but this is going nowhere. And then obviously <laughs> it was going somewhere. I was stuck waiting tables in a restaurant, you know, for, for, uh, for, for money. And then a year or, or so later, I'm like, oh man, I made a mistake, you know? Uh, this is obviously uh, um, uh, uh, not a career path for me, you know, waiting tables in, in restaurants. Um, so uh, this thing that Stefan's doing, this sounds like promising. It's interesting, you know, and uh, Stefan, do you, do you still have some work to do? And he's like, well, you know, you're a little late, buddy. Uh, uh, you had your chance. Uh, uh, we don't have any more... Um, uh, room for a partner, you know, there's already four partners in the firm uh, But we're looking for someone to do all this administration bullshit that I don't want to do <laughs> So if you want to do this at minimum wage for 10 hours uh, for, t for, for, for 10 hours a week Be my guest and I'm like, all right, if I'm in I'm in, you know, and uh, so I started uh, uh, filling in Excel sheets and trying to shape the uh, whip this company into shape uh, um, uh, uh, making it organized better you know and you know uh from one thing led another and then uh my role expanded and i got more substance and that's uh, that's how i got involved <laughs> yeah my, my family wasn't really keen on my entrepreneurship at first uh my brother uh reaction was like uh, well, what are you doing you're, you you can't you haven't graduated yet my parents who have never uh, uh been in contact with entrepreneurship they were like, no, you can't do this. You have to work for a boss at least 10 years. And then if you still want to do this thing, then, then do it. And it, it got to the point where uh, my brother was working uh, on contracts for me. And uh, we were at the family table and uh, my mom, who was always, you know, very, uh, uh, very uh, risk avoidant. Uh, she was like, okay, so Stefan, when are you going to get an actual job, you know, with job security, like your brother? And he was working for me. You know? <laughs> like, my brother was paying my my brother was paying my salary. Yeah, but she knew that, right? <laughs> yeah, but she yeah, yeah she but, did, but she didn't she didn't you know put no it did not compute did not compute. Okay. <laughs> no, it's 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 uh, it's partly I suppose a generational thing. You know, my parents mm -hmm. grew up uh, in a in a different uh, reality. Uh, okay, so uh, there's institutions and structures and 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 and, and companies, and uh, you uh, uh, need financial stability. And the best way to do that is to go into um, um, loan dienst. How do you say that? 
employeeship, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, we uh, obviously grew up in America. And the idea of uh, 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 American success is different uh, than what my parents are used to. It's, uh, if you say uh, um, uh, here, hey, I'm going to start a company, a lot of people are going to tell you, okay, uh, think about the risk. Are you sure you're going to do that? Blah, blah, blah. If you say in America, I'm going to start a company, everyone is going to say, good job, go for it. Awesome. You're going to succeed. Make your own luck. Yeah. Exactly. So it's a completely different uh, culture there. Yeah. So you, you, you took that mindset to the Netherlands as well. Well, he right. did, I guess, a little bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Stefan did, but you did less, uh, Samba. In that I did less, and and I am I am more, I guess, a, a child of my parents, and uh, <laughs> uh, I'm also risk avoidant, and uh, I don't I don't mean to be, but it's kind of like in my personality, mm -hmm. um, and that's okay as long as you understand that um, in order to create something, you have to take risks, you know, mm -hmm. um, but if you have created something those risks need to be managed also. So uh, this is why I suppose uh, my uh, partnership with Stefan is uh, as successful as it is because we complement each other also in, in, in mindset. Mm -hmm. um, Stefan sees uh, opportunities. Uh, I see risks and um, I help him uh, uh, avoid pitfalls and he helps me to create uh, something good, you know? Yeah. But but how uh, was was this the same when you uh, decided to stop with Take Two with the company you you started, Stefan? Um, yeah, yeah, exactly the same. Yeah, exactly the same. Same with the band. You know, I was I was uh, in an uh, um, uh, an organization where uh, the perspective uh, dwindled because we weren't on the same page anymore. So I saw uh, you know creative dis differences creative differences. So um, that's that's when I saw it going on a downswing, and I didn't want to be part of that anymore. So I wanted my freedom back to do what I really wanted. So I was the one to take the first step to mm -hmm. say, uh, you know, I'm leaving. And I was CEO of this company, so that was kind of a big deal. Yeah, yeah, and uh, uh, more so because um, uh, much like my band, uh, the company it was called Take Two. Uh, brand agency or I guess uh, brand identity um, mm -hmm. it became really uh, part of my personal story you know it's like okay uh, take two is me and and I am take two you know yeah. and it's it's everywhere I go I, I spread the word about what I do and why I do it you know it's I was engulfed so uh, when the downswing came I was very conflicted because I had to make a really tough decision, right? Because I had a nice position. I had a um, secure uh, uh, job position. Uh, I was making uh, money every month. Um, but I wasn't too happy either. Uh, uh, also, because I felt like what we wanted to do and what we're actually doing wasn't aligned uh, mm. enough. So Stefan said, I want to leave. Are you coming with me? I'm like, what? No, no, you can't leave. Don't leave me, you know? And he's like, well, you know, we have to do something because uh, we tried from inside out to convince people to go into a certain direction and it didn't work. So we have to take the responsibility to make the change ourselves, mm -hmm. you know? And I'm like, well, are you going to hire me again? And he's like, no, I'm not going to hire you. I'll partner with you. And I'd never been an entrepreneur in my life, you know? 
so this was like, okay, I don't know if I want to do this, you know. This is um, a completely different uh, ball game for me now. So all of a sudden, I have to take responsibility for something I've never done before. So it took me a while to get into that, um, uh, to make that decision. Uh, to yeah, uh, I mean, I mean, it's it's kind of like your risk avoidance. So it's a, a huge leap of faith. But you had to like untangle your your personal identity from your professional identity before you could make exactly. that change as well. Yes, and also that uh, risk avoidance. Um, I kind of got to see that in a different perspective. Because um, uh, in avoiding one risk, you're sure of a negative outcome, you know? So, so it's not risky, but you know exactly where it's going. So uh, if I stay without Stefan, I'm going to be unhappy and I'm not going to be able to do what I really want to do. Mm -hmm. So, but in order to escape that, I have to take a leap of faith. So where do I put my trust in? Do I put it into some kind of, uh, construct that we create ourselves with a bunch of people that I did really don't have the same feeling for anymore as I used to, or do I put my faith in something I believe in and in my brother, not knowing what the result will be, but it will be a good decision nonetheless. Mm -hmm. And at this time I had a small apartment. I'm not married. I don't have kids. I don't have a dog I have to feed. So I don't have a lot of uh, responsibilities in my life to take on. So, uh, I don't have a house. So um, if there is ever one point in time to take this leap, it's right now. So I finally got myself to a place where I'm like, all right, I'm ready to do this. And you know what? If this fails, uh, 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 it's okay because the risks are, are, are manageable. And I am pretty sure that if I don't do it, I'm going to regret this later on. It's the same thing that I said earlier. And that kind of pushed me over the edge and uh, best decision I ever took in my life. And that's the problem with this Dutch mindset but that my parents had when I told them I was going to be an entrepreneur. They're saying like you work 10 or 15 years and then if you, you know, uh, uh, learn the game, then try it for yourself. It's also risk avoidance, but uh, I believe that that the best time to experiment and to play is uh, when you are, uh, you know, just uh, graduated or, or when you're in your 20s because you don't have all these mortgages and these kids, etc. So the buy in is a lot uh, uh, cheaper than uh, it will be uh, generally when you're 30 plus or 40 plus. But how was the the the. Uh, the mindset of the company to take the take two company that different from yours, Stefan, because you are the CEO, I, I can imagine mm -hmm. that you were uh, pulling the lines and you can decide what, yep. what way you wanted to go. <laughs> right. But, but I mean, uh, you like formal power isn't, isn't, is very different than informal power. You're not the boss of what people, uh, uh are motivated, uh, motivated by. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, I was getting into, uh, I, I used to read a lot of management books. Right. The, the books that you have this whole display case for in bookstores, like this is a good manager. This is how you lead a company, et cetera, et cetera. And I read all of them and I was getting bored with them as well. And then one time I switched to a book about philosophy and I was like, this is very interesting because we as an advertising agency, we're looking for the meaning behind companies. Right. It's like, why are you the best at what you do? Uh, how are you uh, forming meaningful relationships? What are you giving to society? Those kinds of questions. And uh, I found that philosophy books had a lot more answers to those questions than management books. So I excused myself for about a half a year uh, from being my uh, for being CEO to kind of like um, 
formulate a plan to change our company to be something special because there's advertising agencies are a dime a dozen. Um, we were already working with concepts like identity and, uh, and relationships building. Um, and then after this half a year, I came back. It's like, guys, I have the answer to all our problems. We are going to change. We are going to be a, a unique, exclusive company, not only dealing with creative graphic uh, stuff or building websites, but we also want to have uh, philosophical retreats for leaders. We also want to do HR. We want to have an integrated company. So we are going to change. And I was like, okay, so I'm presenting this with all uh, my heart and energy. And uh, I asked the questions. We have 14 employees back then. I asked the questions like, so who's in? And only one set of hand goes up, you know, and it's uh, <laughs> my brothers. No, and this and is then, exactly, then I, rea then this I is realized exactly, we had a wrong. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and this is exactly what happened. And um, it was, um, uh, uh, I, I feel like it, uh, we hit a wall in development, you know, and it's a shame because we always saw the the work that we did as uh, be as answering to a higher ideal, you know. So why are we creating our portfolio? It's not to show how awesome we are. Graphical work is not meaningful in itself. It is meaningful in a bigger picture. So we're looking for that meaning, and we're trying to uh, uh, convince our own uh, colleagues, um, look, the reason why our work is worth anything is not because it's so beautiful. It's because it uh, means something. And it can mean something in a change process. It can mean something in, uh, in, in finding and uh, uh, creating uh, better relationships for the organization. It's not about us. It's about them, you mm -hmm. know? But um, then you hit like uh, a, a maybe an, an ego thing with some people because their uh, professional identity is built around the fact that they have a unique vision on the world and create a one of a kind um, a work. And um, in order to <laughs> completely look upon your own work in a completely different way, you know, you're asking a lot from people. And I understand that now. I didn't understand it at the time because it was obvious to me that this is the way it is. Obviously, we're not creating this work for ourselves. We're doing it for to, to create a better world, to create a more honest world where values are, 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 are front and center. And everything we do should, should be uh, um, uh, based around that. Mm -hmm. But uh, this was not something that we could uh, really drive home with, uh, with our colleagues. So yeah, that's what happened. But, but that insight is used now for your company, values driven, right? Right. That's exactly Absolutely. what you're do doing right now. Yeah. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. Exactly. I mean, uh, uh, we're nothing if, if not consistent. Um, we were all we were looking uh, uh, with the band. We were looking for quality getting better. That didn't happen. So we started something else, an advertising agency. In the advertising agency, we started looking for meaning. And once we hit a wall there, we uh, did whatever was necessary to chase uh, what we believed in. And that's uh, called values driven now. Yeah, uh, and and advertising is uh, tends to be the complete polar opposite of what we uh, found interesting in advertising in the first place, which is the search for meaning. 
uh, and advertising tends to uh, be uh, whatever works, how, whatever we can manipulate people uh, with to buy our products or services, we will do. And it tends to be devoid of any meaning. And we didn't want to play that game anymore. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And that means our, uh, our, our, um, our services and products are fluid. Because uh, when people ask, so what are you? Yeah, that's like the most difficult question for me to answer. That depends. We can, we are many things, you know, yeah. and uh, we are different things at different times. Sometimes uh, we manage a project. Sometimes we, we, we initiate change. Sometimes we, uh, we, we are your, your, your house philosophers, you know, and, and, and uh, as soon as you put a label on it, you know, you also uh, create these expectations um uh and 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 borders and uh the autonomy uh intellectual autonomy and also our our freedom to choose uh what we do and who we do it with is probably one of the most important cornerstones of our uh company and the fact that i call it company already gives me some sort of discomfort because <laughs> you know yeah <laughs> i mean we have to be a company for the law but we we're just two people that wants the same thing you want, hopefully, and let's do it, you know, yeah. whatever it takes. And sometimes we, uh, we inflate a pink church in the parking lot of an organization. And sometimes we take them on a retreat. And sometimes we create a podcast, we, we do what we whatever needs to be done. Yeah, but but how do you, that, that's, uh, I love that idea. But, but I, um, as you start with, okay, you're very experienced, you, you build up a portfolio, I think you build up a great network, so that helps as well here. But if mm -hmm. you start, it's, it could be quite difficult to position yourself, right? If you are open yeah. for all the yeah, things which is meaningful for you. How, how did you cope with that in the beginning? Well, I mean, uh, um, uh, which is, I, I go back to the point where, uh, you know, in your 20s, it's the greatest time to start a company because when I left that company at 32, I think, uh, I had this network, I had this experience. Uh, so it wasn't that hard. It wasn't this hard break where it's like, okay, we're a new company and we're going to look for people, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it was, it was kind of an easy landing because, uh, we had projects that we really liked that, that really fitted with our vision. Um, so, so it wasn't that scary to, uh, to start again because mm -hmm. it wasn't, uh, uh, starting again. No, it, it's, it's, a con conti it's a continuation. Exactly. It's a continuation of a, uh, development, a personal development process that yeah. we both uh, go through and we influence each other in that way also. And obviously at some point you have to, um, uh, put, 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 uh, borders around it and say, look, this is. We've heard everything. We've we've entered into a relationship. We 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 analyze your problem. We understand. This is what we think we can do for you. Here it is, you know. And obviously, there's there's a uh, a, a pricing involved in that as well. But we don't say, look, here's our menu. Pick and choose, you know. Mm -hmm. We believe very strongly in the process of of tailor making uh, 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 any, something unique for everyone. Because if people don't feel like it's unique, it doesn't have the same uh, um, uh, value experience. Yeah, I cannot the... make I cannot make something for you that I make for something else for someone else because then we are being untrue to our proposition, which is everyone's unique, everyone uh, has their own set of values, and we base it on your unique experience. 
but that needs yeah. uh, uh, a lot of capabilities from your side because I, I can imagine that it's quite uh, scary if you are entering every company like that because you don't know what you are going to do you don't know how to help them and it's not that you are bringing in a package this is what we are going to do it's always listening and based on that deciding okay yeah. what, what what can we bring here I mean, we're by now very comfortable with that position, uh, but I do want to uh, mention that our clients are some of the most brave people I've known because they because they're willing to, leap that, to take that leap of faith as well. It's like, yeah, I, we don't know what we're getting, but we're willing to enter into a journey with you. And sometimes that journey takes two, three years. So that's a, that's a big leap of faith they have to make. Yeah. So. Um... How do you, uh, okay, so I'm a company, let's say I'm a company and I, 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 I found you, you know, I found values driven. How mm -hmm. do you introduce yourself? Because that's, I'm looking for the way how to, yeah, you know, it's, it's always different, I guess, right? It is. Um, but, uh, I would say, I would say uh, um, uh, the most important thing to find is common ground. So the, 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 I would rather not talk about my services. I would not rather not talk about your company. I would talk about something we both believe in and we both find it's important, you know, because that's something where you can really connect and form a relationship. And from there on out, you look at, okay, so who are we? What do we do? And how can we maybe um, come together to do uh, some meaningful work? So yeah, and I, I, we, we have this, uh, like this, this saying, uh, we, uh, take with us and, and with any company, any company, even if you're uh, by yourself, you're dependent on relations, right? So working together, uh, is about relationships and what makes a good relationship that's trust and what is trust based on. It's about finding the same things important. So sharing values is the basis of uh, trust, which is the basis of finding and forming good relationships. So be prolific about what you stand for, what you believe in. Yeah. And that's something that a lot of companies aren't bringing to their clients because it's like, okay, whatever you want, we'll make it. Mm -hmm. We're an advertising yeah. agency. Yeah. And uh, once you start opening the dialogue about actual meaning uh, based in actual experience, that is the only uh, way that you can bring about change, I think. It's mm -hmm. change is not something to be manipulated. Change is not something to be uh, managed, brought about by, 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 by consultants. It's about offering the experiences, which opens you up to uh, grow. Yeah. So what I would say where we operate in the realm of development and we don't develop organizations. We develop, uh, uh, we, we offer the context in which individuals can develop their relationships, their personal experience, their communication uh, uh, um, tool bag, you know. Uh, we create uh, places uh, and spaces where people can enter into a meaningful dialogue together to grow together. Uh, and if you try to manage that, like, like with, with, with milestones and deadlines, um, it's, it's not going to last. Because why am I changing? Because somebody's asking me to. But not because I want to do it myself, because uh, because my boss and I, we believe the same thing, you know, and we want the same thing for ourselves. And if this is true, what does that so what do we need to change in order to bring that about? There's a saying called um, culture eats strategy for breakfast. 
So strategy used to be top down. It's like, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to achieve. That means that uh, uh, our company and employees need to follow the line. It was very military. Um, and what is culture? Culture is just like the, the expansive view of relationships within a company. And if you improve those relationships, if you improve the culture, that is much more effective to, uh, to achieve success than a good strategy. Uh, uh, there's this uh, research uh, uh, that people were asked, how engaged are you with the organization you work for? And I think the global average was 9%. 9% of the people asked, and this was by a bona fide research company, right? It was uh, Nielsen, Gallup. I think. Gallup. No, no, Gallup. Gallup. Uh, and then we tend, in Holland, we tend to think we're ahead of the curve mostly, but uh, in Holland, it wasn't much better. It was like 11%. 11% of the people were engaged uh, with the company they work for. So this is uh, a huge, huge problem if you're moving in towards, uh, into a purpose economy, or if you claim to be purpose-driven or values-driven. Uh, then there's on one side, there's, there's like upwards of 90% of, of companies that have core values. On the other side, there's 11% of people being engaged with their companies. In my research, it shows that almost 70% think all those values are bullshit. So, so there's a huge, huge mismatch, a disconnect between, uh, uh, leadership strategizing meaning and that meaning actually being, uh, uh, seated in the personal experience of employees in, in people. And I think that's, that's a, a really big shame because, um, in my opinion, life is about meaning mm. and then, and then you shouldn't be working for an organization that you don't care about. And you shouldn't be involved in a job that, that, that is meaningless to you. Yeah, but it's, it's a waste of a life. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yep. I totally agree. But I think it's it's quite hard to change that mindset for the employees, right? To so convince well, them. Well, we never we 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 never shy away from uh, from from something that's hard. Huh? I mean, the question is, uh, I mean, if I wanted to make easy money, I would do something else, you know. But we're doing this because it's important, not because it's easy. Yeah, because you believe in it. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. Important things. Now we're full I, circle. I think, I think important things never are easy. No. Yeah. No. Well, I think because there's there's skin there's skin in the game. Yeah, that's true, and I totally believe that. Um, this I, I absolutely love that mindset that you you want to you try to bring. I mean. Uh, the individual itself is important and you have to make your own choices and uh, to get that insight I think it's quite hard to get that insight uh, and, and uh, it's really helpful if people can guide you there yeah but mm -hmm. you, it, it's not it's not uh, and it's also about um, managing expectations because you got to realize that my brother been thinking about this for 20 years so yeah. so to get to where he is you know it takes uh, effort you know, and it took me a while to, to, to understand what he was even talking about. Um, so um, uh, you got to allow yourself some time too. And, and the expectations are you offer a way to, to, to look at the world maybe and uh, in a different way. Whether people pick up on that or not, it's not up to you. You can't force it. So you can only offer it. And then usually what happens is that most people will go back to uh, uh, their, their daily lives. But a few people will get it. And, 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 and then the, the trick becomes, what do we do with this? 
mm-hmm. as, a, as an organization. So I would argue these people that get it, let's get them into a position where they can make a difference. You know, so these might not be the people with the best CVs or the highest skill set or the highest uh, position within the company, but they are informal leaders in a way. So let's try to identify those people and see how we can uh, position them to have a bigger impact internally. What I really believe in is if you believe in the things you do, like you do what you do, then you will convince people. But the thing is how to make them aware of it. That's one. And how to make sure that, yeah, they have time for it to do so. I think uh, one of the things uh, that is uh, important in this respect is uh, um, what you just said. Huh? So how do you make them aware of how special it is that they actually are? So this is why you need outside people, because a culture has blind spots too. You know, and uh, it's uh, uh, if you work in a certain setting with uh, with a certain uh, norms for a long time, you don't have the ability to look at yourself anymore in an objective way. So it's nice to have people from the outside looking in and saying, wow, what you are doing here is really quite special. And then they usually say, that's not special. We always do that. Yes, but for an outsider, it's special. You just don't realize it yet. So that's one of the uh, answers to your question. I think it's important to have people from the outside looking in once in a while, mm-hmm. really look in. So not just showing them the, the things that you want to be seen, but just just open yourself up, you know, be vulnerable because uh, most people want to genuinely help organizations uh, to, to grow. Um, the second one is how do you make sure people get a platform or a stage to do that? Well, there's it, that, that completely dependent on the context. Um, because uh, in a way you're uh, doing that right now. You are looking for people who have an interesting story. You invite them in and you share it with uh, people uh, in, in hopes of inspiring them. A podcast is a way to do that. Uh, but there are so many ways uh, to do that. And it depends on the context. It depends on the culture. It depends on, uh, on, 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 on the heritage and the legacy of an organization, you know. And this is where Taylor uh, uh, made work uh, comes in because uh, it's it's unique for every year. And it's, I think it's very important to start at the top because not so much that the top has more to say than the bottom in uh, in my opinion because uh, you're inviting people uh, to change and take risks to be outspoken, uh, meaning that if they do, and you don't have the mandate from the leadership then these people are taking a risk and then uh, running the risk of getting punished for it, maybe getting fired in the worst case. And I don't want to have that on my conscience to have people speak out maybe uh, to some things that are actually going on on uh, the work floor, but uh, leadership isn't aware of. And for them to take the risk, I need to be sure that they are safe to do so. So that means we start at the tops and, and have the mandate of people uh, being open and not being punished for it. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at the time, so I, I wanted to <laughs> to talk about the church we, exchange we, as well. We can go, we can go on forever. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I got about half an hour before I go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> no, but let's talk a bit about the, the church of change as well, uh, because mm-hmm. I think it's a very interesting thing as well. So you started the church of change. I think it's a result of the things you started when you started with values driven, right? Um, yep. Um, what's the thought behind Church of Change? 
Um, the thought is directly inspired by my favorite philosopher called uh, Friedrich Nietzsche. And he was talking about his famous uh, expression is God is dead, right? And what he said wasn't so much based on whether God exists or not, but uh, the problem that we all have. And the problem that we all have is that we uh, kind of cut out or cutting out church in our lives. And with that, cutting out meaning and purpose and belief in that life, out of that life. Uh, so um, uh, the problem is with, with people not going to church anymore, that there's no real space or ritual or symbolism to talk about what we believe in. So we figured uh, maybe we can revamp the church, uh, you know, like uh, doing that pink inflatable church, or we even rented one old church building one time to talk about what's the meaning of life. And there's all these kinds of, uh, of, of um, uh, visions and, and, and stories that you can share. So, so we can invite philosophers or, or we invited the mayor of a, of a large Dutch city one time to talk about what does it mean to live in a city. So we wanted to create a space uh, for meaning without getting paid for it because uh, Values Driven is obviously a consultancy as well. And um, we wanted to be uh, to have our hands free to just like form a dialogue about meaning. Uh, so uh, this is uh, what the Church of Change uh, became to be uh, or came to be. It's it's a space where we can talk about what do we believe in uh, in a secular society. So it's talking about values without talking about religion. So it's pretty much uh, it's pretty much what we what we always do, uh, but we are taking it out of the commercial context. Mm -hmm. and putting it yep. into the public domain and we're saying look we have an empty space here let's let's go there let's all get together and let's talk about the things that actually matter to us in a way that it's not a um, a debate night you know because there's plenty of those but but we're trying to add like an, an extra dimension to this uh, it's about dialogue it's about vulnerability and it's about community you know what's a beautiful thing is of 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 the things you are doing and, and your mindset is, I think if I ask friends or my family or whosoever, uh, what should you do when you will win the lottery, I think they will do what you do. Really? I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would like to meet your family and friends then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are good, they are good leads now. But uh, no, but seriously, I think uh, to to bring something to the community, to bring something uh, to the people, to help the people uh, from a social cultural uh, perspective. Yeah. I think every, if you ask a lot of people, they are really willing to do so, but uh they are uncertain about it you know they want yeah, to make yeah. money as well so those are the challenges so i have to ask did you win the lottery yes or no <laughs> <laughs> i think no, no. in a way we did <laughs> yeah, yeah, i mean yeah. you know we we uh we had uh, a unique uh experience uh uh as 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 children being uprooted and being forced into a very uncomfortable situation but it was the two of us together and because of this we got to know each other and trust each other more you know and, and you know it's the truth and uh, uh um uh i'm very grateful for that it was it was tough but it was um it was important for my uh for my personal development and the relationship that i have with my brother it made me look at things in a different way um uh and uh i am completely happy with how everything turned out. I am happy with who I am as a person. And uh, if you are convinced that, uh, and, and you know, you wanna do good in the world, 
life, you know? I, I, that's what I want. I, I want to live a comfortable life, but I definitely want to do good in the world. So you find ways of doing that. And, 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 and it's, it's very simple. If I go to bed at night and I feel like, hey, I've, I've done something for someone else, you know? Then, then if I can live my life like that, then I've had a meaningful and good life. Yeah. It's, it's, it's also uh, what we're talking about, um, dealing with uncertainty. Uh, I think we, we come from a culture where uh, dealing with uncertainty or fear being the base of operations, you want to take uh, uh, as much as you can because then you're safe, right? If you make a lot of money, uh, if you uh, retire by the time you're 67, you know, you're in, you're safe. Uh, and, and I think one of the longest studies is by Harvard and it dealt with human happiness. And it's something that, that academic science is now proving that, you know, was uh, already a tradition in, in like Eastern culture is happiness is not about taking, it's about giving. Yeah. Uh, meaning we have a lot to learn in Western society uh, to uh, find our confidence in which we can give and, and uh, foster healthy relationships with others. Yeah, so that's a, that's a great challenge. I had, I, I guess, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and and you're totally motivated to uh, to take uh, to take the challenge. I have only one more question, and that's uh, mm -hmm. that's a question about: Do you have some somebody in your mind who would be interesting for the before and after show as well? We sure do. Yeah, um, we have uh, this uh, client uh, who is very uh, inspiring. We believe. And his name is Philip Gladich, and he is uh, he started a scale up uh, managing the energy transition. And uh, what they do is very interesting as well. But he had a really concrete point in his life where he just cruised through life as a college student, didn't have a care in the world. And then his sister, who immigrated to the Netherlands to start uh, a company uh, to do good in the world, he, she kind of got him on board. It's like, what are you doing with your life? Get over here, immigrate with me, come to Holland and start doing something meaningful. And then he, he tells the story about just like a light bulb switching yeah. on and, he and tells uh, it changing much, his life forever. And he tells it much better than we do. So we, should, yeah. we, should, we shouldn't say any more, but he's a very inspirational guy. And uh, this is exactly the kind of uh, clients uh, that uh, inspire us to do the best work. So we love working with him and, uh, and uh, I, I'd be very interested to uh, see him on your show uh, Absolutely. To, to see what kind of stories you can extract from it. <laughs> okay, that's a, great, that's a great name. Thank you very much for sharing it and uh, I will reach out to him and uh, let's hope that he will uh, join the before and after show uh, as a next guest. I'm sure he will. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, Sander and Stefan. You're welcome. Thank You're you very, very much as well.